Now we get into chapter 10, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. As soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So always notice, times of transition. Enemies return. Now here's something that you just need to get a hold of. Anytime you see a time of transition, enemies return. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. So, all right, notice, these people were wealthy, but worked hard. Now, one of the things that you need to get a hold of is that when people get wealthy and they're working hard, at some point there is a desire to enjoy the wealth. And there was no opportunity to enjoy the wealth under Solomon. Solomon was always pushing to get things done. Your father made our hokia heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Okay, hey, we'll, we'll follow you, we'll serve you, just like we did your dad. He said to them, come to me again in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? All right. Now, folks, get an understanding of this. These men advised the wisest man to ever live. Now, I think I'd listen to these guys, Diba. And they said to him, it will be good to the, if you will be good to this people, be good to them, please them, speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. Now notice, stood before his father, Look at this phrase, stood before, stood before. There's a difference who you stand before. There's a difference in who you stand before. Now, do you stand before a young kid and advise a young kid? Or do you stand before the wisest man that ever lived? There's a difference in who a man stands before. A lot of times when I have to make decisions, I ask myself the question, when people are talking to me. Who do these people stand before? Who listens to them? Who listens to them? And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me? Now notice, what do you advise that we answer? How do you advise me? Notice the difference between the we and the me. So this guy was including inclusive, and this is pushing away. He 
He's pushing away the previous generation and he's being inclusive with the new generation. Notice again the me. Whoops. The me and the we. That's a very important truth to notice. That this people have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us. And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus you shall speak to the people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now whereas my father laid down you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Now a scorpion is a special type of whip. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day. And the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered them harshly, forsaking the counsel of the old men. Young people, please listen to people who have experience. Don't listen to people who are good at presenting themselves. You know, sometimes you look at these guys, and please don't get mad at me, but you listen to these guys on Facebook, and you listen to these guys on TED Talk, and, and you know, what have they ever done with their life? But they're young, and they're flashy, and they're a good presenter, and they have charisma. These old men, maybe they didn't look cool. Maybe they weren't wearing Nike tennis shoes. But they stood before the wisest man that ever lived. And Rehoboam, King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For it was the turn of affairs brought about by God that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. This goes way back to some of our earlier reading. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to his own tents. O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So all Israel went to their tents. Now notice, the only reason they could do this is they were wealthy. This is a response of wealth. They didn't need the king. These people were all wealthy. They didn't need anything from the king. The only reason they can act like this is because they had grown so wealthy under Solomon. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Doram who is taskmaster over forced labor, and the people of Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam quickly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. Yeah, he, he ran home. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day, and really even to today. So when Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, came to Jerusalem, he assembled the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against Israel and to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. He said, these guys are going to peel off from me? Uh-uh. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives. Return every man to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned and did not go up against Jeroboam. Now, this thing is from him. This is what God spoke to Solomon. He said, you know what? This is going to be lost because of how you have lived your life. You did not live a life that I could bring blessing to the next generation. 
Now Rehoboam, the son, lived in Jerusalem, and he built cities for defense. Now, you know, forgive me, but defense is expensive. These were never needed before, unneeded before. He built Bethlehem. Wow. David's city. He went back and rebuilt Bethlehem and made it a fortified city. Now that's only six kilometers outside of Jerusalem. So he built Bethlehem, Etim, Tekoa, Bethzur, Soko, Adullam, Gath, Marishath, Zith, Adoniam, Lachish, Azika, Zora, Ajalon, and Hebron, fortified cities that are in Judah and Benjamin. So because they're down to two tribes, he now has to build a new defensive network. His father and his grandfather had built a defensive network on the perimeters of the nation of Israel. Now he has to build a new defensive network on the perimeters of the promised land for two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. He made the fortresses strong, and he put commanders in them, and stores of food, oil, and wine, because they would have to withstand a siege. And he put spears and shields in all the cities and made them very strong. So he held Judah and Benjamin. So notice, he held. In other words, there was a, a, an opportunity for him to lose it, but he held Judah and Benjamin. Now notice what happens. And the priests and the Levites, who were in all Israel, presented themselves to him from all places where they had lived. Now God had taken the, the, the tribe of Levi and he'd taken the priesthood and he had scattered it through the nation to teach the people and to, to bring the people to God. And given them, for instance, the, um, most of the time you find that the Levites were in the cities of refuge. And these had been scattered through all of the 12 tribes. Now all of a sudden, all the Levites, so the tribe of Levi, all the Levites, and the family of Aaron, which would be the priesthood, they all come from all of Israel, and they come to Jerusalem. For the Levites left their common lands, their holdings, and came to Judah and Jerusalem, because Jeroboam and his sons cast them out from serving as priests of the Lord. Now notice, their integrity cost them assets. To do what God called them to do, they had to leave everything they had. Now, before you think that this is just a little thing that I'm harping on, I want you to remember, why did the Levites receive the call of God upon their life? Every man took a sword and killed his brother. The Levites put God before everything else. Now again, they're told, either you help us worship these golden calves and you help us worship this, this goat idol and these calf idols, or you're done. Their integrity cost them their assets. They left their common lands. They left their holdings. They gave up their inheritance. Now, did you hear that? They gave up their inheritance for their integrity. Now, Jeroboam, this is the guy who runs the ten tribes. He appointed his own priests for the high places, 
for the goat idols and for the calves he had made. He made one calf for Dan and one calf for Beersheba, remember? Or for Bethel. And those who had set their heart to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord of God of Israel, came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So notice, God seekers also left the ten tribes. Now, one of the reasons you see the rampant ungodliness among the ten tribes is the loss of the Levites and the priesthood. One of the reasons you see the sudden downturn and the, the total sinful decadence of the ten tribes is all the God-seekers left the ten tribes. Those who set their heart to seek the Lord, they also gave up their inheritance and their assets. They put God first. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and for three years they made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, secure. For they walked for three years in the way of David and Solomon. All right, so the first three years. The first three years that the nation had been separated. All of spiritual leadership, I call that SNL, all the spiritual leadership, all of the God-seekers, they all came to Judah and Benjamin, to Jerusalem, the city would be the capital city. And for three years, this strengthened the kingdom of Judah. You've got this incredible amount of godliness coming in. And this incredible godliness that came in caused the whole nation of Judah now, Judah and Benjamin, to walk in the ways of David and Solomon. Now. Again, a big importation of godly people will change society temporarily. Just like a godly grandparent coming into a home will change a family temporarily. Just like a godly family moving in with an ungodly relative's family will change that family temporarily. And this is exactly what occurs here. This huge importation of godly people and spiritual leadership brought temporary change to Judah and Benjamin, and it strengthened the kingdom of Judah. Rehoboam took as his wife, Mahalath. Now, Rehoboam, this is the guy from Judah and Benjamin, Solomon's son. Rehoboam took as his wife, Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and Abihail, the daughter of Eleb, son of Jesse. And she bore him sons, Jewish, Shemariah and Zaham. After her he took Maacah, the daughter of Absalom, who bore him Abijah, Ataiah, Ziza, and Shelemith. Rehoboam loved Maacah, the daughter of Absalom, above all his wives and concubines. He took 18 wives and 60 concubines and fathered 28 sons and 60 daughters. Grabe, 60 daughters? Now, I'm not advocating multiple wives and concubines. In fact, these guys were not to do this. The Bible's pretty clear about that, but they, they did it, and it's just reporting the history. Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Maacah, as chief prince among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. Now, this is not God. This is his desire. 
This is not God speaking to him. This is his desire. Now, he had other sons that came before uh, this son, Abijah. But because that's his favorite's wife's son, he's going to do this. Now, he dealt wisely, and he distributed some of his sons throughout all the districts of Judah and Benjamin in all the fortified cities. And he gave them abundant provisions and procured wives for them. Now, notice, he took his 28 sons, and he put his 28 sons, if this would be Jerusalem, and he had these fortified cities as a perimeter wall, he took his 28 sons and put them, because they had something to lose. They were princes of the kingdom. He put them in charge of these fortified cities to provide protection. His son was there. But notice, the Bible says he dealt wisely. This was, it was considered wisdom to put your son in charge of these fortified cities. Chapter 12, verse 1. When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord. Now remember I told you three years and then it was temporary. Well, now you see why it was temporary. When he got strong, he got arrogant and he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Wow. Leaders lead. Leaders lead into good, and leaders lead into bad. He changed. And when he changed, the nation changed. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord. Now notice, he has three great years. Now he has two ugh, years, okay? He's abandoned the law of God. At the end of those two bad years, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and the people were without number who came with him from, the, from Egypt, Libyans, Sukkim, and Ethiopians. So this is a large army, foot soldiers without number, came up against Israel. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. So all of these fortified cities defeated. All of the perimeter cities were defeated, came as far as Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah. Okay, came to Rehoboam and to the sons who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, you abandoned me, so I have abandoned you into the hand of Shishak. You know that nice little verse that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? How many times in the Bible do we find God saying, like in Proverbs, because you've ignored me, I will ignore you. He says to this king and to his sons, you abandoned me, so I will abandon you. Then the princes of the king of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is righteous. This is true repentance. 
They didn't make excuses. They just said, the Lord is righteous. They didn't try to beg and plead. and They just, the Lord is righteous. He's right. We, this is what we did. See, true repentance, true repentance is a confession. You're right, I'm wrong. No, no discussion. The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. There's going to be a price. And my wrath shall not be poured on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. All right, so true repentance. There is going to become some deliverance. But there's always a price for sin. Nevertheless, they shall be servants to him, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. He said, all right, I want them to learn a lesson. This is the lesson I want them to learn. This is what it's like to serve God, and this is what it's like to serve the nations. Now, here is how the lesson begins. All right, the lesson begins. What is it like to serve the nations? So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. Now, I want you to notice, serving God, God gives, God prospers. Serving the world, the world takes and brings poverty. There's a lesson to be learned. He said, I want you to learn what it's like to serve the nations. I want you to see how different it is to serve me. He said, you need to learn this lesson. And Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept them at the door of the king's house. All right, so now he gets less. He still is blessed, but blessed with less. So sometimes I look at businessmen when they fall into sin, and I say, you, you don't understand. They say, well, God has still blessed me. It could have been so much more. He's got shields of bronze now when he had shields of solid gold. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard came and carried them and brought them back to the guard room. When he humbled himself because of the wrath of the Lord turned from him, Always remember, when you humble yourself and repent, God's wrath turns from you. So as not to make a complete destruction. Moreover, the conditions in Judah were good. Okay, so life was okay. Life was okay for the people. Now, it's not the best, but life is okay for the people. So King Rehoboam grew strong in Jerusalem and regained and reigned. All right, so he grew strong again. Now, here's my question. What would have happened if three years went into five years, went into a lifetime? How strong would he have been? 
how different would life have been? He grew strong again and reigned. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. He did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Now, here is the root. The root cause of sin among God's people. He did not set his heart to seek the Lord. My friends, if you are busy seeking God with all of your heart, you're not going to mess around with sin. The root cause of why Christians get into sin is they do not set their heart to seek the Lord. You cannot be seeking God and off living seeking temptation at the same time. It just doesn't happen. If you want to stay, if you want to live a holy life, living a holy life is not this legalistic willpower thing. Living a holy life, this is how to live a holy life. You live a holy life by the focus of your heart. Oh, brothers and sisters, hear me today. This is how you live a holy life. Not legalism. Not strength of willpower to say no to sin. You set your heart to seek the Lord. Oh, if you don't get anything else I ever teach you for the rest of my life, get this one. You don't live a holy life by willpower and by legalism. You live a holy life by just seeking God every moment of every day. Now the acts of Rehoboam from first to last, are they not written in the chronicles of Shemaiah, the prophet and Edo the seer? There will continue wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. But again, remember, he got stronger again. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Abijah, the son he chose, reigned in his place. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Can you give somebody a high five and say, I know who I am. I know who I am. Turn to your right and say, I know who I am. I know who I am. Turn to your left and say, I know who I am. I know who I am. Turn around and say to that person that I know who I am. I know who I am. And I'm
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. All right, so the law reveals sin. Maybe use the word define also. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Now now, now think back. The only thing God said not to do in the garden was touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan deceived them with the very commandment that God said. Now sin is the same way today. Sin takes the scriptures and twists them, deceives people. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. This is the the sinful nature, all right? This is how Paul defines the sinful nature. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, the sinful nature. Okay, this is, this is all referring to the sinful nature. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close in hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now you, you walk through all of this and you go, yeah, but remember we talked through this in detail, so I won't repeat the teaching today in morning devotion. This is the schizophrenic, immature baby Christian speaking here. Paul said, listen, I understand what it's like to have the sinful nature dominating and controlling in my life. He said, I've been there, I've done that. So go back and review your notes on all of this passage. All right, let's have a little wisdom from Proverbs now as we close out today. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. All right, how to have a long life. And this is one of those lists I keep telling you about. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in paths of righteousness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. All right. When you have learned the way of wisdom, notice you have been led in paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step is not hampered. And if you run, if you run, you will not stumble. This is the fruit of wisdom. Okay led you in the path of uprightness. Steps not hindered. Not stumble when you run. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. All right, now notice the path of the wicked. Don't even enter it. Now, 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 this is significant. Do not enter and do not walk. All right, enter means to go into. Walk means to participate. You're walking in a way, you're walking on a path, so you're participating what other people are doing there. Now, you, you know, you wonder why I don't go to clubs and things. You wonder why I don't go places where, where sin is practiced. And, you know, for a lifetime, people have made fun of me, and they say, you have too many bowels. And, you know, people get these new slogans today, we are the church of imperfect people, so, you know, you can go to your clubs, and you can go to all this stuff, and you can get drunk, but just come to church, because we're not perfect people. And Folks, it's not my job to, to help you stay in your, your lack of spiritual growth. It's my job as a pastor to help you grow spiritually. Please, there's a, this whole popular thing in the world today, and I've been conferences where pastors say, you never challenge the people's lifestyle. You, you just point them to Jesus and create a vision of a better life. No, you have to challenge people about their lifestyle. You have to challenge people to live a holy life. And people say, you know, for as long as I can remember, I mean, since I got saved, even when I was in Bible school, you know, believe it or not, in Bible school, so long ago, discos were popular. And I can remember in Bible school, the students that I went to Bible school with, they were going to the discos on Friday nights and Saturday nights. Well, Saturday, I was volunteering in a church all day. Friday night, I was in missions night, praying for the world. And, and people would make fun of me, and they'd laugh at me. And I'd go, you know what? I've done the stuff of the world. There's nothing good out there. There's, there's nothing good. And sometimes, please, young people, don't get mad at me. But sometimes, young people, you've grown up in church, 
And there's some attraction of that stuff out there. You know, a snake is very beautiful until it bites you. I mean, to watch a snake, it's fascinating how a snake will move. It'll mesmerize you. The beauty of sin will mesmerize you. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Oh, beloved, did you hear that? Avoid it. Bring that up here and... Big highlight, avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. It's just, please, stay away from it. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. You know, there are some people, they can't sleep at night unless they get on Facebook and they stumble somebody else. Okay, they, they've just got to vomit their stuff out. That's, that's how people are. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. All right, bread and wine, these are the things that sustain them in life. All right, what sustains the wicked? Violence and wickedness. Grave. All right, we're going to see you tonight. We're back in the book of 1 Corinthians and we're having a good time. We're laying foundations right now because when you begin a new expository study, you've got to lay foundations so that as you begin to read the words, they make sense. And they, their whole meaning unlocks to you. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, 1 Corinthians.